I started learning how to play the ocarina and it's been a lot of fun. First we learn major scales, then minor scales, and then how to magically transform night into day. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we're talking Zelda, going back to the series roots and trying to figure out how a series so unafraid of radical change still somehow feels like it's steeped in tradition. It's not actually that dangerous to go alone, but all the same, why don't we all go together? I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Shire. And hello! Hello! Hello, my friends. Hello. My video game discourse engaging in friends. It's <laughs> nice to see both of you. Likewise. Is that what our names are in your cell phone? Like, Yes, Maddie, that's the little, that's the discourse, group. Video game discourse engaging in friend Myers. Yes, yes, that's that's the Google group. That, uh, <laughs> that's you. what I've named it. It rolls, it rolls off your tongue almost as much as Nintendo Switch OLED version. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. It is. There's a parenthetical mm. in there as well. That's a very important part of the branding. Um, yep. Well, welcome to all of our listeners as well. Thanks for listening to our show and to everybody out there who is a Maximum Fun member and directly supports us making this show. Extra special thanks to all of you. And if you'd like to become a member, you can do so at MaximumFun.org join. And doing so gets you access to all kinds of bonus content from all kinds of Maximum Fun shows, including... A little show called Triple Click, where we release monthly episodes, usually, well, they're all kinds of things. A lot of them are beans casts, where we spill the beans on games and movies, but sometimes there are other things, sometimes they're just random topics we want to talk about. And in that uh, in that regard, we are going to be doing one of those random topics we want to talk about. This is going to be a beans talk. So random. It's pretty <laughs> random. We're going to talk about, well, it's really up to you what we're going to talk about. So we're, we're requesting emails. You can email us at tripleclick at maximumfun.org. And we're looking for questions about deep thoughts on things, deep subjects, just Things you wonder about, uh, conundrums, mm. things like that. But not video game questions, like not personal life questions. questions. No, yeah, like, us. yeah, kind of kind of deeper stuff. And we're just going to kind of talk life, life and philosophy. and the We're going to answer your questions about life, the universe, and everything. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So that is uh, TripleClick at MaximumFun.org with your deep thoughts questions. And if you'd like to become a member and hear that at the end of the month, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. All right, Jason, what are we talking about this week? Well, first of all, I keep like glancing out my window because there's like the start, the beginnings of this giant storm coming uh, right around my house, and I'm like looking mm-hmm. at my uh, my outdoor mm-hmm. like my patio furniture, hoping the umbrella doesn't get blown away or like my kids <laughs> uh, my kids' toys that are outside. Should have brought it in. Look, man. Jason, the weather is so boring. No one wants to hear about the That's weather. True. Everybody, That's true. you're always talking about the weather, and I'm always like, it's so boring. Mm. Don't talk about the weather. Kirk, it it sounds like a wise man. Is this that. a bad time to say there's also a storm coming here? or I I was going to say that right after. Today we are talking about The Legend of Zelda, who uh, in at least one game, uh, Link can actually control the weather, so this is relevant. Um, mm. It's possible that Link is creating the storm that's currently outside of my house. So hey, the Song you never of know. Storms, great song. We could put that um, in. That's true. So next week, uh, <laughs> The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD comes to Switch. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have not played it, who are wondering what the deal is with it, and who are wondering what the deal is with The Legend of Zelda in general. So that is what we were talking about today. What's the deal with Zelda? Kirk, Maddie, what is the deal with Zelda? Nobody knows. Nope. What's the legend? I mean, we're going to figure it out. I I keep trying to figure it out. I've been excavating a lot, and I can't find anything. Nothing. It's a game about a boy named Zelda who goes off and mm-hmm. has to collect fairies an owl. and fight Ganondorf. I thought the mm-hmm. owl was named Zelda when I was a kid. Anyway, I'm skipping ahead. We'll talk about <laughs> the, that later. The Legend of Zelda debuted in 1986. It is 35 years old, as, uh, as as Kirk pointed out the other day, a silly anniversary, but it is 35. <laughs> it was created by Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka. It was inspired by Miyamoto's adventures through the forests and woods and wilderness outside of his house in Japan, um, at least according to Miyamoto folklore. Uh, he was kind of exploring and wanted to make a game where you could explore, and that's basically the genesis of Zelda, and that's basically a good way to define what Zelda is. It's a game about exploring and finding secrets. Um, so the original Zelda, of course, came out for the NES. It's changed a lot since there, since then. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the history of the Zelda, 3D versus 2D Zeldas, et cetera, et cetera. But first of all, I want to get, I want to hear kind of, uh, let's talk a little bit about our personal history with Zeldas. Maddie, why don't you start um, and give us a little bit about your like personal Zelda history? 
Sure. So the first Zelda game I played was Link's Awakening for the Game Boy. This was back when if you bought a video game, you didn't know what it was necessarily. And I have a really strong memory of my mom and I in like the Toys R Us aisle reading the back of the box. And there was a little boy on there and an owl on there. And she was like, maybe the owl's named Zelda. And that is why <laughs> I thought the owl was named Zelda. Because Zelda's not in Link's Awakening. And I, I guess it's called Legend of Zelda because of... It's still technically part of the legend of Link, Zelda, and Ganondorf, but it's true. Uh, those those two other characters aren't in there. It's just Link, um, and I thought that was a cool and game. Marin, his Zelda replacement. Yes, Marin, Marin, who is not Malin, notably different from Malin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't have an N sixty four growing up, but I had some friends who did, so that's how I saw Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, etc. Got a GameCube later in life. Played Wind Waker. I could go on and on, but that that's that was my starting place with Zelda. Also. Princess Zelda was one of the first serious cosplays I sewed. Not the first cosplay I ever did, but it was the one where I was like, I'm going to really sew a Zelda dress. Nice. And, nice. Uh, so I did that in college. That was pretty fun. So Nice. Yeah. So are you, would you say Zelda, you're like, you're a pretty big fan of the Zelda series in general? I mean, yeah, I guess. It's not like top tier for me. I haven't played every single Zelda game, but I've played a lot of them and I think they're cool. I feel like where I started to fade on them is what we've mentioned many times on this show, which is the fact that you never get to play a Zelda in these games. Mm. And uh, that's just kind of sad to me. I I always wanted more for her in these games, but she's uh, she's, better. She's a damsel in distress, damn it. And it's never going to (laughs) change. It is what it is. It's her fate. And that's it for her, I guess. Um, Too bad. Kirk, what about you? I played the very first Legend of Zelda. My neighbor had an NES, and he had the Top Gun video game, and he had Zelda. And I remember playing it, and I want to mention a third name, in addition to the two creators, and that is composer Koji Kondo, because I think that he is just as essential to the identity of Zelda, and his music, which is still played in modern Zelda games, you know, through all of these games, his original themes still carry on, and then a lot of the themes that he wrote, especially for Ocarina of Time, but even in that first Zelda, that Zelda theme, I remember hearing it and thinking, this game is good because of this music. Like, mm. it, I didn't, I wasn't even playing the game, I don't think. It was just, this feels like I'm going on a grand adventure. That is why I'm excited about video games, this cool thing that my neighbor has plugged into his TV, and this music is channeling that for me. So I always will think of the music. Did you know in, in 1986, when you were five years old, did you know you were going to be a musician growing up? Like, were you one of those kids? I don't know if I knew I was going to be a musician, but I knew I loved music, and uh, and I knew I liked that music. Yeah, I mean, did you know, like, you listen to music, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I listen to music differently than other kids do. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I did or not. I can't really mm. remember. It's a long time ago. Mm. I, I definitely like was always taken with good music, though. And I was taken with the music of this game. So I liked that. I never had a Nintendo, so I never really got to play the game. And I do remember being kind of disappointed playing it, since it was pretty hard and weird. Um, like, I'd get the controller finally, and I would be like, oh, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I'd just sort of die to some crappy enemy mm-hmm, and couldn't mm-hmm. ever figure it out. I mean, yeah, all NES games were, were kind of like that. Right, but it was that promise of what the series eventually became, and I really do mm-hmm. think it was a promise that it didn't fully achieve until 2017, um, where you know, this adventure that you really just can go on in this world that you can live inside of, and that was present even in that game all that time ago. And then I you know, mm-hmm. sort of didn't have consoles and didn't play a lot of the games very substantively. Like I remember playing a roommate's copy of Wind Waker and getting kind of far in it. Maybe playing a roommate's copy of Ocarina of Time and getting a little ways into it, but never really making any progress. And then sort of returning to these games uh, in the in the 2010s when I was a journalist. And then it was really Breath of the Wild was the one where that was so just the kind of game that I love. And it was so the promise of Zelda realized that that was where I really fell in love with Zelda and, you know, a, as a series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny what you just said made me think that um, a really good name for a game would be A Legend of Zelda, A Roommate's Copy. <laughs> a roommate's <laughs> copy. It has a nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so I am probably the most hardcore Zelda fan among the three of us because I've played pretty much every single game in the franchise, except for like those weird CDI ones um, that were like those graphical adventures that that no Nintendo doesn't want to think about or remember today. Um, and I remember I the first one that I really spent a ton of time with, I played the, the first, the original, but 
I had spent more time with The Adventure of Link, which was the second game. And I remember I had it on this gold NES cartridge, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world because all the other mm. NES cartridges were gray, mm-hmm. um, and they made gold ones for this. And, and I would pop it in all the time, and it was super, super hard. I could never get past like the first dungeon or whatever, but I still loved it. Um, and then it was kind of it was Link to the Past that really made me fall in love with the series because that was a game that was like like elevated it and kind of established the Zelda formula as we know it today, which I mean, for better and for worse, but at least at the time that was kind of the, 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 the innovation um, that it brought to the table. And just to anybody who is listening to this and maybe new to the show, we did a whole episode about A Link to the Past last That's year. True. And we all it's a, it. a hell of a game. We all played it and it really holds up to an amazing extent. It is a hell of a game. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten about that. But yeah, that is such an interesting game as a blueprint for what Zelda would become because it really, like, it's very different than the first Zelda where you can walk to any part of the entire world map and just kind of do things and explore and go into caves and stuff and you might get killed and you might not have what you need um, at any given point, but, like, you can explore anywhere. Whereas Link to the Past gives you a very limited world and then branches it out over time. Um, Because it's a big map, you and you can walk in a lot of places, you still feel like it's a big world, but you're actually very um, constrained at first. And then you pick up things and and it does, does the whole Metroidvania thing um, of like showing you rocks and stuff that you can then go back and blow up later. Um, so mm-hmm. so that kind of like set the tone for Ocarina of Time and, and um, Wind Waker and all the other future Zelda games. But yeah, I was playing every single one of these games like as they came out. Um, I remember it was so funny. There, there was a string of, of years where like Zelda games would come out every year or every two years. And then there was just this excruciating wait from Wind Waker to Twilight Princess. Um, it's sort of like a parallel trajectory to the Game of Thrones books where the first three were just like one year after the other. And then as it became more and more successful, it would be like, oh, now here's a four-year wait. Here's a seven-year wait. Here's an <laughs> infinite wait. Um, Zelda was very similar where it's like, oh, yeah, Wind Waker, awesome, 2002. Oh, my God, like we're waiting five more years for Twilight Princess. So it was pretty funny. Pretty <laughs> funny Right. There. To make this fully work, I guess the technology for writing books would have to grow significantly more complicated right. over the right. period of time. <laughs> no, the analogy is perfect but yeah. um, but it's a funny trajectory well the technology of how many plots there are in game of thrones books has gotten significantly more complicated that is so true that's true yeah that is true the, books the architecture complex. of the books itself yes. has grown quite a bit more complicated um and pretty much there aren't a lot of like bad zelda games one of the things that i think really makes zelda stand out is that it's just consistently great with a couple exceptions that we can get to but um what's been interesting just as a zelda fan watching it all over these years is the way that like people react and people just kind of whiplash from every time a new game is announced and every time something interesting happens in the series. So for example, when Wind Waker was announced, I don't know if you guys know this or remember this, but um, people freaked out because here was this series that like everybody loved for Ocarina of Time, um, which was the most successful game by far. Um, and uh, everyone thought it was of it as like dark and gritty and like realistic graphics. And suddenly it's a cartoon and all these, so all these like teenagers in the early 2000s are like what the heck what is this game what is this Wind Waker game and then people played it and it was amazing and then Nintendo kind of like went the other direction for Twilight Princess and everyone was like ah realistic graphics Twilight Princess um and Twilight Princess, then, then there was controversy over that because it was like released both on the GameCube and the Wii, and, and there's a, a whole whole big thing of like it, them holding on to it potentially to be like a console launch game, and like would it run better on the Wii? You have to go buy a Wii just to play this game. It was a whole thing, and you could see like uh, uh, beginnings of some of the same exact conversations that we have today. But yeah, I, I remember playing all these games, and just uh, there was nothing quite like getting a new Zelda game. Um, there very few game franchises like oftentimes you grow up you look at games in the store like you did maddie and you find a new game and you're like i don't know what this is oh cool but like zelda zelda games always felt a little bit different um in that you took one home and like you knew you were just about to experience something totally great yeah i think it's kind of similar to final fantasy in the sense that you don't always know what you're gonna get like i guess Mm -hmm. it's they're all more similar because there are a lot of the same plot beats that happen usually although there are of course exceptions but i also remember there was some controversy about twilight princess because um you spend a lot of time as a wolf in that game and that was weird to people and they're 
I, I thought Midna was the coolest ever, but I don't know that everybody thought Midna was the coolest ever. It's like just because Twilight Princess had something different than what is considered the Ur Zelda game, which I guess is uh-huh. Ocarina of Time. Like anything that isn't identical to Ocarina of Time, people are like, well, this is what is this? Which is <laughs> which is so strange because it's, there are so many different kinds of Zelda games that there shouldn't really be one specific definition for what a Zelda game Mm-hmm. is but i i mean you're more embedded in the fandom than i am jason i'm sort of adjacent to these arguments well so that's what's funny is that like one of the things that as as just a zelda fan who was playing them as they came out every 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 few years um one of the things that you kind of like had to kind of suck up and deal with is the fact that so one of the most exciting things to me in the new zelda game was going into a dungeon like seeing all the little pieces all the little hints at like what that dungeon's big special item would be and then realizing okay i'm gonna get that item it's gonna be awesome and it's gonna be super creative and innovative and cool and then i'm gonna do cool things with it like magnet gloves or like a cane that summons bricks and stuff like that but because zelda so strictly followed certain tropes and certain recipes it was always like okay before i get to all that cool stuff i have to go through the three dungeons that'll give me the bombs and the bow and arrows and the hook shot because those are always like the Zelda necessities gotta have that and so Maddie to your point I think they actually like like despite there there was always like an, on an aesthetic level it was like oh my god what is this it's not Zelda anymore it's all cell shaded or like what is this Link's a wolf this isn't Zelda anymore but at the same time they were sticking so close to tradition with the actual gameplay and the meat of the games that they really didn't do themselves many favors in, in that, that like the series started to feel stale um after a while and i think that's one of the reasons obviously breath of the wild really stood out to so many people is because it broke with all those traditions it's funny that there are these sort of codified traditions in the you know in the zelda lineage despite the fact that the consistent thing across all of these games is that each one is unafraid to change dramatically like when i when you look at them a little zoomed out like we're kind of look i'm looking at this list that you made of all of the games the minute they went from Ocarina of Time, which was this huge hit, I mean, like a revolutionary game that everyone was super into and just, it was exactly like, that felt, I think at the time to people, like Breath of the Wild also felt like, oh my God, the first time Link rode on his horse across the title mm-hmm. screen, it was this feeling of just, this is it, this is the magic, the thing that was always hinted yeah. at by that theme song, we're seeing it. And the reality of the game is maybe not that, but it's a wonderful game. And then they followed that up with Majora's Mask. And the fact that that happened and there was totally a backlash to Majora's Mask, that game is totally wild compared to Ocarina of Time. And that's just the template. I mean, it's always been this way. This like pendulum swings between, you know, wildly different design ideas, even though I guess because of the things you're talking about, Jason, the bombs, the order in which you do things, the way that, you know, they teach you things, the way the tutorials work. Because of that, people felt like there was this established identity that was being deviated from even though looking at this list i just see a huge list of all very interesting all good all very different games yeah i mean i would argue that even majora's mask like hues to the traditions of zelda in a lot of ways right. like it feels for sure much like one of those traditional zelda yeah games. i think when it came back out on 3ds people played it and it it was remarkable how interesting it is as a game just in a, in terms of game design but also how it totally feels of a, of a piece with the rest of the Zelda collection. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like uh, from a from an aesthetic point of view, these games are changing drastically and even like a little bit beyond that like from a um a thematic or even structural point of view. These games are changing drastically. I mean, structural with Majora's Mask, that's a really yeah. dramatic shift. But but also but fundamentally Majora's Mask is a game about like fighting monsters and going into dungeons and collecting items. I mean, they're called they're they're a little bit different than standard items, but you're still using those items to solve puzzles and um doing side quests for villagers and like a lot of the same stuff you were doing in Ocarina and Link to the Past. A lot of these games just like like are really skew like sticking to very traditional formulas and so like we get to skyward sword which i want to talk a little bit about because that's the game we're all going to get to replay next week and and the three of us are definitely going to play it and do a triple play and get specifically into it but um that game is like the really the pinnacle of like games the the zelda games that a have like a 40 hour tutorial before you can actually play them <laughs> and b yes. like ha- throw so many just traditional zelda isms at you before they get to the good parts 
um, like I, I believe this is I'm speaking off the cuff here, so I don't remember if this is exactly right, but I believe the first dungeon in the game is like you got a boomerang, like just like the first dungeon in so many other <laughs> Zelda games. Um, and it's not it's not for um six, seven, eight dungeons before you're getting like really cool, interesting items. Like um, there's a double hook shot in Skyward Sword, which is wild and and a lot of fun to play with. Um, but like like it's it takes a while before you get to the real the real meat of the stuff, and I think that's really interesting. That's a series that is like in some ways known for being so innovative and wild is also so traditional in so many ways. Yeah, I feel like that's maybe part of why Skyward Sword has become more of a cult favorite than not. I mean, like there are many things about it that people hate it. The motion controls, people complain about the excessive tutorializing, people complain about. But there's also this vocal contingent of people who are sort of like Star Wars prequels people who are super into the lore of Skyward Sword (laughs) and are like, well, it's slightly different. The villain isn't Ganondorf. He's like Ganon adjacent. And like there are all these other plot reveals in Skyward Sword that are cool. So like because it feels so like handholdy and also buy the books and like you're gonna get the boomerang you're gonna get all these same items like zelda's still wearing a dress like everything looks like a zelda game if you cross your eyes that people will then seize upon any new information in it and be like this is why this is the zelda game for me this is the special zelda that i'm gonna hold up which i guess i could say is true of all of these other ones where if you meet somebody who's like super into majora's mask or whatever it's because it's different like the things they're into are the things about it that make it different from every other Zelda Mm -hmm. game or whatever Wind Waker people are into the cell shaded stuff and the the specific look of that game or the sailing and that's just I don't know that I I'm curious to actually play Skyward Sword and give it a chance because I'm like do those people have a point is there actually something cool buried in that game that I just never got to because I got bored by it but Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm going to find out. Did you beat it, Jason? You must have. I did, yeah. And and there's definitely some cool stuff towards the end. And Skyward Sword is, is a prequel to um, to most, or if not all, of the other Zelda games. So there's some stuff that's like setting up the, the legend of Zelda. I won't spoil it. but um, And then there's some also like Skyward Sword. One of the cool things Skyward Sword does is... Um, and you can see the lineage of this in Breath of the Wild is that it sets up like very futuristic technology stuff within the medieval fantasy world of Zelda. Um, and I'll leave it at that because I want people to discover it for themselves. It's worth noting, by the way, that what they're doing for this HD release, in addition to um, uh, like upgrading the graphics, making it HD and um, uh, making it so you can play without motion controls, they're adding all these quality of life improvements. So like in the original game, Fee, who is the name of the spirit who lives in your sword in the game, would just pop out and constantly pester you with like tutorials and messages and stuff. And they're making that stuff optional. Um, and they're making it so like you don't get a pop up message every single time you pick up an item because it has to tell you that a rupee is is worth 20 rupees, like a red rupee is worth 10 rupees, right. or whatever it is. I remember that being a, a major issue with that game. Yes, yeah. that was a super major issue with that game. And so they are doing some things that'll make it feel less tedious, which I think will make it more accessible to folks. Um, but Maddie, it's funny you say cult classic because the game sold a bazillion copies and like was beloved and like critically acclaimed um all these games are yeah but it doesn't have that reputation though you know what i mean right that's the Mm -hmm. thing well so some skyward sword is kind of perceived as the game that was like that made people look around and be like all right enough of the zelda formula already even though it was critically acclaimed people were just like all right we're kind of sick of this and skyward sword led to two years later Asian Anuma and the Zelda team released a link between worlds for the 3DS which really was kind of like an or Breath of the Wild in a lot of ways because while it was uh, a direct sequel to Link uh, to the Link to the Past and like set in that same world what it did was instead of making you do dungeons in a linear order it gave you a big shop and you could buy items and take and you just needed one per dungeon and you could take them on in any order um, and so that really just like broke the rules in a way that allowed Breath of the Wild to be created in the first place. Um, And this is all as a result, I think, of Skyward Sword. Like, Anuma and crew looking around and saying, all right, we want to do something completely different with this series now. Yeah, Yeah. I could understand looking at Skyward Sword in retrospect, despite the fact that it was definitely a game that was just sort of made to review well. It was a new 3D Zelda. It looked great. It sounded great. It had amazing music. You know, it was a very charming game. Mm -hmm. And then in hindsight, especially if you were someone who made Zelda games, I could see looking at that and saying, you know, all those people who have complained about bloat and the way that these games have just, this game is just kind of feels 
too big by 30% and probably a lot of people didn't finish it. I could see them looking at it and thinking, okay, I think maybe it really is time to shake this up. And then, I mean, A Link Between Worlds had to be a really creatively fulfilling project for the people who worked on it. I just have to imagine. Like, there's just a spark in that game. I love A Link Between Worlds. It's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite games, but I mean, it's one of my favorite Zelda games. And there's just so much, they're having so much fun with the way that it was designed. Not, mm-hmm. like, putting aside the whole dungeon design, like, being able to buy upgrades, which is actually not something I cared about or even noticed. I mean, I noticed that I, I could tell it was different, but it was just a delightful game. Like, the the gimmick of it, the 2D thing where you go into the wall and you can, like, sneak around, that was so clever and so cool. So mm-hmm. much cooler than anything in Skyward Sword. Like, that was kind of the thing to me about Skyward Sword, and obviously, like, we'll, we'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks, but it struck me as a game that didn't actually have a big new idea the way that some Zelda games, not all Zelda games, but some Zelda games do. The motion controls and the sword fighting were touted as this big deal, but in practice, are they really? I don't know. Like, I remember playing that and not being that impressed. It didn't really work. I mean, I, I remember Twilight Princess tried to do motion controls, which, like, you can do a little bit of the sword fighting in Twilight Princess, but it didn't quite work, maybe just because it was a launch title and it was also launching mm-hmm. simultaneously on the GameCube. But I do remember in that era, motion controls were such a huge deal that I, like, tried to... I gave it the old college try with Twilight Princess, and like tried to kind of do some sword fighting and it really didn't work and Skyward Sword like I, I'm pretty sure like the E3 booth or whatever had like a big picture of like the motion controls on the wall like I have a For memory sure. of that image and like that was how they sold it and I'm I'm just guessing that at the time that idea of doing sword fighting motion controls but doing them well was the promise internally that they were trying to keep just building on Twilight Princess, which of course didn't work. And now we've all accepted that motion controls for swords are bad. Well, hold on. So it actually does work pretty well. So what happened with Skyward Sword was Skyward Sword required an accessory called the Wii Motion Plus that basically improved the sensitivity of your Wii remote in a way that, so there was technology there that wasn't even possible with Twilight Princess. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are like some fascinating boss fights where you have to be like mastering like the diagonal swings and the the horizontal swings and it's really interesting I think you guys will be actually kind of surprised at how much the motion controls play into it when you play um, the the HD version because now you're going to use the joystick instead if you're playing on the Switch like in handheld mode or whatever Um, and yeah I mean I'm very curious to see how that comes off but actually the motion controls from what I remember playing it when it came out um, uh, were like the, the most interesting thing in that game I'll be curious. I, I don't think that that's wrong. I think that maybe they were the most interesting thing in the game and that that's maybe the issue with the game's legacy mm. because I don't really think of them when I think of the game. I just think you're uh, you're cruising around the world, you're going to dungeons, you're doing the, the Legend of Zelda thing, and that's kind of all there is. It's just it looks this certain way, it sounds a certain way, but there's kind of nothing remarkable about it where when I then think about A Link Between Worlds, you know, there's this whole new mechanic that's really remarkable and like really Mm -hmm. factors into boss fights and puzzles and all kinds of things they've built the whole game around it in a way that just it it sticks in my memory a lot more uh, strongly than the motion controls did yeah well one of the interesting things about the zelda franchise in general is that so much of it has been built to serve hardware um starting with Mm. with uh I mean, I guess you could go all the way back to the NES if you wanted to, but like Twilight Princess or the Wii, the DS games, Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, which are not my favorites, but those use touch controls and only touch controls. You can't like mm-hmm. use any buttons. You have to use your stylus, which is why they're not my favorite. Was Phantom Hourglass the one where you had to breathe into your 3DS as well? I remember. Yeah, you had like to that, use the mic to, to do. Like, yeah. Blow on stuff. Blow out candles, maybe. Yeah. With, I think they both do it. With Spirit Tracks, with Spirit yeah. Tracks, there was a whistle you could blow like by like... Like blowing into them, right? Yeah. right. Um, it's a little much. <laughs> and you would draw like train tracks on the thing. Yeah, I, I mean, both that. of them were very gimmicky. And then Skyward Sword, obviously, with the motion plus, and then Link Between Worlds. Kirk, the mechanic you mentioned about like going into walls, going from 2D to 3D, is because it's the 3DS. Yeah, um, and they wanted to take advantage of the 3D. Um, and then the next game, which might be the only real bad Zelda game, is Triforce Heroes, <laughs> which um, is a multiplayer game that is like legitimately bad, like poorly designed in a lot of ways but that game was created to play around with 3ds multiplayer because 3ds was like the first 
really, I mean, I guess you could do multiplayer online games on, on the Wii U, but they weren't great. It was really the 3DS. It was the first like game that you were, Nintendo system where you were actually playing like online in any sort of substantial way with, with people. Um, and so they wanted to mess around with that Triforce Heroes. Yeah, I didn't play this. It's funny to even imagine that, given how bad Nintendo seems to be at multiplayer. I guess was the yeah. idea that you would be playing with people in real life a little bit more than you'd be playing with them on the internet? Maybe. I don't know. I feel like... Since was... that was kind of the 3DS thing, right? Like with Spot Pass and you can be like playing mm-hmm. Mario Kart together at a convention. Yeah, maybe. But there was also like, there was, no, there was no chat. Part of the idea was that you should solve puzzles collaboratively without talking. And so you could only do like these emotes and gestures huh. and stuff. It was very, very strange. Very bad game in a lot Did of ways. Did you ever play it with people IRL? Yeah. I would be curious. How yeah, was I that? Yeah, I played it in the office with people and it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> it was just not fun. <laughs> when it worked. A lot of the times it just didn't work right but anyway i guess that was necessary to bring us to the greatest game of all time at least one (laughs) of them breath of the wild um that i'm sure every listener who's listening to the show right now knows about breath of the wild and how um how much of a masterpiece it is but yeah breath of the wild feels very much like the culmination of zelda and part of me feels like that's why it's taken so long to do a sequel because it's like how do you how do you suppress breath of the wild how do you make something that's like greater than breath of the wild or as good as breath of the wild even but yes breath of the wild is very much to your point kirk like zelda one sets the template sets the blueprint ocarina of time is like okay cool we got a little house here breath of the wild is all right here's your fucking mansion um we are delivering on the idea and then some you can literally go anywhere the game says yes to you at every possible turn i think it's interesting that breath of the wild was not tied to hardware in any meaningful way it was and then it was changed so it was so it was tied to the wii u um when it was going to be a wii u only game like and you would use the tablet for like map your map and stuff like that and then they pivoted around like 2015 or 2016 basically when and the developers said this i remember at a gdc talk i went to with the developers of zelda um they said basically they got an email from onuma being like so we're gonna be on the nx too and they're all like uh what and so they had to scrap all those features but yeah, finish what you were saying. Yeah, it didn't hurt the game. I mean, I, the one thing with the Switch that was Switch specific was that it was very cool to be playing a game of that scope and that grandeur and then just be able to pop it in your bag and take it with you to GDC, actually, where I think we saw that talk <laughs> like yes. that, that same year. And uh, that was cool, but that wasn't an essential part of the game. It was just a really good open world you know, simulation adventure game. And and that's kind of, that was plenty, or at least it was plenty for me. Yeah. Yeah, and it feels like it had to go on the journey. Zelda had to go on the journey it has to get to that point. Yeah, hmm. it's also interesting what changed in that game. I mean, obviously it's an open world, but also the fact that there aren't really dungeons per se. There's like these little series of puzzle-y dungeon-like areas that are just just little temples where you can hop in and do something and then leave and that being totally different it's more you know checking off tick boxes on the map dots on the map as we always say and that's a very different vibe for zelda game but then also like zelda's wearing pants she's a lot more hands-on she really engages story-wise with the fact that she has a specific role that she's cast in the characters are sort of looking directly at that idea that's new also link can cook i don't know i didn't have a third item <laughs> on this list but that's new that's all new link can cook that's a huge deal i i just i feel like those oh breakable weapons that was another huge deal for people oh, yeah. at the time uh-huh, like a very uh-huh. skyrim vibe in terms of just how the game looks and feels and I also know that there are people out there who don't like Breath of the Wild because of those differences. Just, mm-hmm. it's not a Zelda game to them. I mean, yeah, I, I, well, it's that's the thing. Not different. a Zelda game. That's yeah. such an interesting concept. People were saying that in 2002 about Wind Waker because it's like, hey, this is cartoons. This is anime. Like, this isn't a Zelda game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to describe what is a Zelda game. It feels like as long as it has Link and music and a sense of adventure and exploration, it's a Zelda game. But um, yeah, but Breath of the Wild breaks with tradition so drastically and is like so unlike any of the kind of link to the past lineage games that it's hard to know what to make of it other than being like, wow, this is phenomenal. Yeah, I (laughs) mean, it's just, it's good in so many ways. That is true about Zelda, Maddie. I feel like Zelda is kind of the protagonist of of Breath of the Wild. She has an arc anyways where Mm -hmm. it doesn't really feel like 
Link really does. I mean, he kind of does. An arc in the past, she's kind of asleep the whole time. But yeah. No, yeah. I know, but the story, well, the whole story is told in the past. Like, I mean, yeah. Link's arc in the present is he gets a bunch of stuff and, and gets more hearts and then, like, fights the boss. <laughs> yeah, but, you always, you're always getting more hearts. I feel like she also is a pretty prominent character in Ocarina of Time. So, like, that similarity, at least for people mm. who like the stories of these games, is like, oh, this is a character who has an arc and, like, motivations and is kind of doing their own specific thing in this game again and then you're still the cypher character like the fact that link is the quote-unquote main character is sort of irrelevant it's more like he's just the guy who presses buttons and walks around and Mm -hmm. pokes things i mean Mm -hmm. yes he's the main character but he's not talking (laughs) so i think that one interesting like uh vector on which i consider zelda or i've always thought of it is in terms of zelda clones as they're called i think you can learn a lot about any game by the derivative games that are made and I always I'm always paying attention to the games that are made in the Zelda mold because it kind of tells you what other game designers think a Zelda game is and Darksiders comes to mind and Okami comes to mind I feel like Okami at the time that came out in 2006 and it was kind of the it was like the answer to Twilight uh, to Twilight Princess, like people who who weren't happy about Twilight Princess's art style or the game in general, because you also play a wolf in Okami, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's very Zelda. It's the design is like totally Zelda, like the blueprint is really taken, and it's a great game. It manages to be a really good game. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are some great ones. Um, there are some great two D ones, indie two D ones that I played over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, lots of lots of Zelda clones that don't quite get at the essence of what Zelda is or just kind of copy a few things and not others. Um, haven't seen any Breath of the Wild clones. Really interesting. Except for Immortals Phoenix Rising. Is it but absolutely yeah, Breath of the Wild clone? But it's not. It's it's different. It has different goals and is a different thing. Of course it's different. But I mean, it is though. I mean, I, In some ways. To, sure. I would say that that is definitely the closest thing we have yeah, to a Breath of the Wild Yeah, it's the closest we've seen for sure. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like the art style for Breath of the Wild is mainly what people have copied as opposed to like, yes. oh, there are these three beings and the tribe right, like and like that sort of medieval fantasy trappings like but yeah not Kirk, so even, much but the look of it sorry yeah. sorry sorry to interrupt you maddie but kirk i just have this thought like brother like mortals phoenix rising is like a, co- a copy of breath of the wild in such an aesthetic way but like there's no physics simulation or systems in immortals that work the same yeah, there way is. that like breath of oh. the wild does there absolutely is. There's, you're, you're not like cutting down trees and using them to turn into logs and getting struck by lightning and then like turning them into like, like there's none of that stuff. Yeah. You're doing all these physics puzzles and they feel like the shrines that you go into solve puzzles and feel just yeah, like but, the shrines. No, and, but that's different. That's different than like, okay, I'm on this, like I, in this icy area. Don't agree, but I don't know. I mean, all right, whatever. I think that, um, I think there's one, one other thing that I do just want to mention because we've talked about these games so much on this podcast is that I think there's also a direct line from Zelda to the Souls games and that it's mm. interesting that Darksiders, which began as a straight up Zelda clone and then it kind of transitioned and I think it's Darksiders 3 is a Dark Souls clone instead. And there was a feeling, <laughs> especially in like 2010, 2011, when Dark Souls, like when Souls games were kind of picking up the torch for Zelda, and they were delivering on that promise that the original that the original game had of like you can go anywhere, but it's kind of dangerous, and you actually kind of can't go anywhere, and you need to learn what to do, and there's this kind of foreboding quality to the world that then Breath of the Wild kind of picked back up, and there's definitely while there's like a Skyrim influence in Breath of the Wild, it also has a Souls influence, and you can feel that in some aspects of that game. I think that's pretty interesting too. It's like an interesting kind of outside of the series sort of arc to follow. Yeah. yeah I mean, when I Link winds up sitting in a bonfire and then resets the whole world yeah. and, and winds up in this like weird you dream do, world. But you start at a bonfire. I remember there's like That's a bonfire true. and yeah. a guy in a cloak sitting there, a mysterious guy talking to you. There are certainly things it's, in that game that feel true. like Dark Souls. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think the other similarity that's really obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway, is just the idea of Japanese developers doing their own twist on these Western fantasy tropes, like whatever Mm. Western fantasy means. And like that sort of... Uh, redistribution of those tropes into that aesthetic is is really cool to see. Like that's part of why I think Dark Souls is interesting, and also Zelda's interesting is because a lot of these games are about they're just they have different cultural mores. Like they're they're often about like teamwork as opposed to like individualism, like so many American <laughs> games are. And mm-hmm. like that's definitely what Dark Souls is about with like calling people in to help you and so on. And like you know Link is mm. calling on Zelda to help him and stuff. And I just I like that 
idea of like, what if we take these certain fantasy tropes from one area and then put them in something else and reinterpret them? That is a similarity that kind of that I can kind of see there. Yeah, that's I, true. That's, I think it's cool. fair to say that Elden Ring will be the Breath of the Wild copy that we're all looking for. I hope oh, so. Interesting. Cool. You think? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's been interesting to watch this kind of weird evolution of the series um, to the point that I was making earlier, by the way, I think that like one of the things that has always stood out to me about these games is the dungeon design and the way that there's like these intricately c- crafted puzzle boxes and they get more and more complicated because over the game, you're over the course of a Zelda game, you're getting more and more tools and the game will expect you to have those tools and use those tools and like combine them in interesting ways. Um, like in Link's Awakening, for example, you get the Pegasus boots and then you also get like a, a uh, or not this is rocks actually an feather? oracle oracle puzzle yeah or the rocks feather yeah and you have to run while using the rocks feather in the oracle games it's a seed that lets you jump um, and like knowing that you have to run and uh, or no sorry in the oracle games it's a seed that lets you run so knowing you have to run and jump at the same time to like pass a giant gap is like one of those interesting like Zelda puzzle combination things and then so for Link Between Worlds the big problem with that game was that since each dungeon would only require you, you to have one item it couldn't make you combine items in interesting ways mm-hmm. and you knew going into like the bomb dungeon that every single puzzle would be a bomb puzzle and then you move on to Breath of the Wild and Breath of the Wild solves that kind of dilemma in such a fascinating way which is that instead of it lets you go in any and anywhere in any order but instead of giving you like one tool per dungeon it just gives you a bunch of tools right up front and then expects you to have them all throughout the game which i think is a brilliant way to solve that problem and like the concept of the the plateau at the beginning of zelda is just brilliant um just the setting up the rest of the game because it's like gives you this tiny slice of of the world to explore sets you up with everything you need and then you just glide off and it's like, oh my God, now I can literally go anywhere and do whatever I want. Yeah, that's that's well put. That's really true. That That's kind of the biggest difference with Breath of the Wild is that it truly is a game about freedom, where none of the other ones feel all that free. It's always a series of constrained challenges within these very strictly established parameters mm-hmm. that you're solving. That was actually kind of why I was never as drawn to them you know, back in the 2000s or, or whenever, or the 90s, just because I liked, you know, I would play like Elder Scrolls games on PC, like the old ones. And I really liked those games where you could just walk around yeah, and do anything. The freedom. And it yeah. always felt kind of like it was kind of how I thought of console games in general, because I didn't really have a console and things. I always felt like, oh, they're kind of really rigid. You can only do like certain things. You can't, you don't have the freedom that you had at the same time in some PC games. So playing a Zelda game where they really just remove that structure just the way that you described was really cool and that is i think at the heart of why i like just like playing breath of the wild yeah but you do lose something because i feel like there is something to be said there is some value to like having that dungeon where oh yeah of course developer knows where you are and like you have this tight tight structure and i'm I'm very curious to see what breath of the wild 2 does of course um breath of the wild 2 which which we will see in forever so do you hope, can I ask both of you, do you hope that Breath of the Wild 2 is initially seen as disappointing and weird because it changes <laughs> so much from Breath of the Wild? That's a good question. Kind of, yeah. I mean, is Breath of the Wild 2 the only example of a direct sequel that is theoretically within the same exact world as the previous? Link Between Worlds. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. It's fair a enough. long time after it, though. And Majora's so. Mask is also a direct sequel to Ocarina. Right. So there are a couple. Yes, although Majora's Mask although Majora's is so is a different, different world. Which, I mean, what world. if Breath of the Wild 2 is as different right, as that's Majora's kind of Mask saying. to Ocarina? That would be Yeah, wild. it could be. I mean, what we've seen so far suggests that like they're still in Hyrule, except there's like a land above Hyrule that we're right. going to explore this time. And also there's a lot of... Well, we were we were assuming after E3, we did an episode and we were all kind of assuming that it was Link. But there's been some, some good speculation out there that it might not be Link um, or maybe it's I think past those Link. Theories are People think crazy. it might be Ganondorf. <laughs> well, because his hair looks different. It's like longer hair. So, yeah, it's yeah. Link. Who knows? Time skip. <laughs> Avengers style five years later. Mm-hmm. When I think about the game, I totally feel that it's the moment right now, this moment, I'm feeling the feeling that people have felt at every major turning point in this franchise that we've talked yep. about, which uh-huh. is the feeling of, I want to have the feeling again that I had playing Breath of the Wild, this wonderful feeling. I'll never forget the two weeks where I was playing that game and I was just lost inside it and it was so cool. I just want it again. I'm playing, I'm always replaying that game and it's never quite there just because, you know, I've played it now and I want that again. But 
I would love to be challenged by a game too, and I really don't know how I feel. Like I would be disappointed if it came out and it was just kind of really different, and I had to learn to appreciate this sort of different flavor on the thing that I liked. But I don't. I really, I'm really torn. I really don't know what I want. Well, hey, let's tie it all back together. I am very curious to hear what you two, and really me also, like I'm very curious to see what all of us think of Skyward Sword when we yeah, all play it next week. For sure. Like, after yeah. Breath of the Wild, it'll be so interesting to go back to like the game that really like took it took tradition a little too far and like <laughs> made everyone kind of sick of the Zelda formula. Will after so many years of like not getting a game like this, will we all be like find it refreshing to go back to to Skyward Sword? It'll be very interesting to see. I'm very excited yeah. to to do yeah. those dungeons again. I remember some really cool moments and like mm-hmm. set pieces and dungeons there's some really good dungeons sure in that, that game. Du- there's like that desert time dungeon mm-hmm. that i'm remembering yep. is yep. really cool yeah something yeah. to do with a time puzzle in a mm-hmm. zelda game that's crazy that. i don't know what that is never, um, never been done before so yeah nope. so we will be back in a few weeks to go in depth on skyward sword hd in the meantime let's take a break and then we will be back with one more thing schmanners noun definition Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard, and we have no advice. But we do see you doing it. Honk if you like to do it. (laughs) Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, honk if you did it? That's what it was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Why did we not ever make this? Those we did make them. I <laughs> think they're still in the Max Fun store. <laughs> honk, honk. You're doing it. <laughs> Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Honk, honk. Toot, toot. And we are back. Kirk, Maddie, let's do one more thing. One's more thing. The plural. Right. The plural is one's. One's more yes. thing. That's um, very correct. Of you Kirk, too. what is your one more thing? So I want to talk a little bit more about Bo Burnham's Inside because I finally mm. watched it, and um, I really want to talk about the music. I think mainly because I'm. I was really really into the music. I I generally liked it overall, and I went into it having talked with you, Maddie, about it on the show, and some of your sort of conflicted feelings about the the way that he's presenting this room that he lives in, even though that's not the room that he lives in. He lives in a house with his partner. He is like a wealthy, successful person who does have mental health and anxiety problems, but also doesn't actually live in this tiny room. And lots of people did live in the tiny room. And I think that it was really helpful for me going in with that in my head. And also, mm-hmm. I want to link this article. We'll put it in the show notes and just shout it out. as an article by Lily Loofborough at Slate called The Problem with Bo Burnham's Inside. And it's a great article like i think i almost wanted to make the article my one more thing because it's so good it's a it's a type of criticism that i really like where she points out and very eloquently articulates the thing that you're describing maddie and sort of talks about how comedy has always sort of exaggerated things like when a stand-up comedian says oh you know last week i was on the street and saw this guy you know that Mm -hmm. maybe it didn't really happen last week and you're supposed to (laughs) you know sort of accept that but when it's you know done in this way that makes you think you know, makes you look at this person and worry about them living in this horrible condition that so many people actually do live in. Like, is that as effective? And it wasn't for her. But she ends by acknowledging how meaningful the film was to so many people and, like, using that as a way to sort of just try to look at what it's doing and whether it's more successful than it was for her or that she than she felt. She ends by mm-hmm. saying, maybe the spiritual malaise he captured mattered more than the metaphor it came in. Maybe that's a measure of something Burnham understands about truth on the internet that I still don't. If I wake up in a house that's full of smoke, I'll panic. So call me up and tell me a joke when I'm fully irrelevant, totally broken, damn it. 
Call me up and tell me a joke Oh shit You're really joking at a time like this and that's kind of where I came down on it, that it was a lot of it was about mm. truth and the way that we present ourselves and his super conflicted feelings about how he always is the center of attention and he presents this certain version of himself. And then we all do. It's so about the Internet. I mean, the reason he's so wealthy is because he's brilliant at capturing that malaise right. and reson- having a resonate with, with right. so many people. And he clearly feels extremely conflicted about that for a number of reasons that he that he talks about. So, I, you know, I thought it was good. There were some songs they could have cut. It was maybe a little bit long. But musically, yeah. I thought it was just really great i was i'm so impressed by him holy shit like i had never really heard his stand-up stuff but like the Mm. number of disciplines he's written a lot of other songs you might like just as an aside but go on for sure yeah i've i've Mm -hmm. listened to some of it but i wasn't familiar before watching this and just i mean the the music is great he's a great singer um just writes really good songs but he's just like the lighting, the the cinematography, the editing, the whole thing. I was just blown away by the chops on display, and I'm always kind of a sucker for that kind of thing. So I really liked it. I think his voice, the way he uses his voice is incredible. He used auto-tune so well to get that certain sound. Be scared, don't be shy, come on in, the water's fine. You say the ocean's rising like I give a shit. You say the whole world's ending, got it already or he'll do, he'll like do the twitch streamer voice and he sounds like a twitch streamer perfectly doing it <laughs> I, I enjoyed that part yeah that looks pretty good graphics wise i mean i know it's a cinematic but yeah, so we're going to be trying to do live plays every day this week, so tune in for that. I'm going to be gifting uh, 30 subs at the end of the week. Um, day 15, 2.15. All right, so this dude's been in here for a while. So is this like an escape the room? Or, uh, okay. So I can cry. So he's, he's not happy about being in this room. Um, I like the music. The music is actually nice on this. And then the like influencer, brand influencer voice, and he's like changes his voice. He really modulates very carefully. And it's just, I was mm-hmm. really impressed by that. And the song I want to shout out is the Jeff Bezos song. <laughs> Because uh-huh. it's probably amazing. the best song in the whole soundtrack. Because I've been listening to there the soundtrack. There are two Jeff Bezos songs. Yes, but one Bezos two. one and Bezos two, which, when taken yes. together, it's probably the funniest Jeff Bezos joke I've ever heard. <laughs> CEO entrepreneur, born in 1964, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. The whole song is like, it's like. What if we were all just cheering for Jeff Bezos? Because we're all in this horrible competition together, this capitalist death, you know, death march. And this one guy is like gonna win, and we're all like, he Go, Jeffrey, you can do it. Look at where you came from, look at you now. Zuckerberg and Gates and Buffett, amateurs can fucking suck it, fuck their wives, drink their blood. Come on, Jeff, get him! It's so Amazing. ridiculous and perfect, and that was probably the fun, the hardest I laughed in the entire thing. So I really yes. liked it. Um, I good. also really liked that angle of appreciating it and criticizing it, and just thought it was cool. So if people haven't watched it yet, I guess everybody probably has now, but um, I thought I would just say <laughs> that I thought the music yeah, was really good. It is good. Good stuff. Uh, Maddie, what's your one more thing? Okay, so you two might remember that I never beat Hollow Knight, even though we talk about Hollow Knight. I do remember. I'd say every other day of our <laughs> lives we talk about Hollow Knight. Um, but I never actually beat it. And I was playing it on the Switch, uh, and I actually played it in a handheld mode a lot when I was playing it on the Switch. I would just play it during breaks at work or whatever, going around town. Remember going around town? I do. I used to do that. Uh, and that, I don't think, is the ideal way to play it. And I never beat it. It's really hard. And I started feeling like if I was going to take Hollow Knight seriously, I would need to dock my Switch and really, like, actually give a shit about it. And I just never did that. But time has passed. I have since gotten a new monitor, which I talked about ages and ages ago. It's not really new anymore. It's still new to me. And I have decided that I'm going to play Hollow Knight on PC. So I've started doing that. With my 144 hertz monitors, nice. frame rates high, baby. It looks crisp as hell. I'm playing it on a controller on my new monitor. It's so much easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so much mm, easier now. And I'm loving it. 
And I don't know if I'm going to beat it this time, but I'm really enjoying it. And part of why I started playing it is because I was also playing this other Switch game, Ender Lilies, which we'll maybe talk about next week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. And that is sort of a Metroidvania. It has a similar like look to Hollow Knight. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a weird thing no, to say. No, it does, though, I think. it has a different... It's like an anime style. You're playing a little, little uh, girl... Um, in a dark world, but you're still like a white figure in a dark world. Yes. And I kept yeah, playing that on my Switch and being like, ah, I just really want to play Hollow Knight right now. So then I did. And it's been awesome. Yeah. Um, so I, I made Such it to, I'm not Such very far. Game. I made it to Green Path. I think that's what it's called, Green Path. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'll see how far I get. Uh, and I, you know, I'll probably just go back to playing Dark Souls again. But uh, yeah, maybe I'll beat it. Yeah, I'm very curious because like part for me at least, one of the big appeals to that game for me was that you could pick it up anywhere. So I'm curious yes. to see if you stick it's with it. It's certainly an appeal. Yes. But that frame rate, though. Yeah, I'm with you. So I, I played it on Switch, but almost entirely docked. I remember I modded my Switch Pro controller with tape mm. to make the D-pad actually work in a wow. way that it needed to. And that, that really helped. But I've played it a little on PC, and it's I prefer it. I think it's much easier on a big screen, so I totally agree. And I will say that get the upgrade at the Mantis Village. Because I, I recently replayed it, if people remember, I like got all the way through the whole game um and that's really the moment it's like green path and then right after that you'll kind of go through fungal waste and like manta this isn't spoilers there's like two upgrades Mm -hmm. you get after that and that's really where if it's gonna click that's where it clicks like where you're like oh you get some traversal stuff that lets you do some cool shit and Mm -hmm. i hope you get there because Mm -hmm. i just want everyone to play hollow yeah how far did you get the first time maddie i don't remember and even replaying it now i'm like I don't remember any of this. So it's oh, like, Oh, well, that's knows? great. Oh, man. I mean, you're I, really thought I, got, I, I thought I got past Hornet before, yeah. but Green Path doesn't look familiar to me at all. So mm. my oh, brain doesn't okay. work and <laughs> I have no memory. So don't take that as a sign that I didn't get past Hornet the first right. time. I probably did. It's just that I have no memory of anything I've ever done. But regardless, I mean, if you didn't get that far, you're really in for a treat if you stick with it. So hopefully you do. Yeah. And, and I bet you'll really dig it if you do. Yeah. Um, and if you follow game. Kirk's advice, because Kirk is right. Like there's certain points you get like traversal mechanics and it's like it really unlocks for you yeah it's also like the game doesn't have to be that hard if you don't want it to be because it does the dark souls thing where you can just kind of like keep getting more health and you know mm-hmm. tricking out your build with they're not called relics they're called charms. relics and ender lilies i charms mm-hmm. they're called charms and hollow knight um you can just get certain charms that make it easier for you so i i don't know it's not so bad you know nice. i like that i wish you luck i hope you stick yeah. with it um cool so my one more thing um I really think I should just read every single Stephen King book because I've never picked up a Stephen King book that I have not enjoyed. And then listen to Just King Things. To Just the King podcast Things. That yeah, I was telling you about. They're doing Kuja right now. I'm listening to their Kuja episode. <laughs> it's That's a good great. show. Nice. I read a lot of them, um, but not, I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone could possibly read every single I Stephen mean, those King guys book, are going to. Well. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Cameron and Michael are going to on their podcast, uh-huh. Just King Things. They didn't um, pay us I, for this. <laughs> <laughs> Over the weekend, I just read Joyland, um, which is an excellent short book Mm. um kind of in the same style as um that other book his newest book later which i mentioned uh, a few weeks ago is my one more thing um and it's really good it's like about a a kid who like winds up working at this um amusement park and like immersing himself in the carny lifestyle and then there's some interesting stuff and a really bad breakup and um and some supernatural stuff of course and some murder because it's stephen king and it's just a really really great story um and i just want to give a shout out to i don't know if you guys are aware of this but did you know that in your city right now there is a building where you could go and (laughs) it's full of books and you can just take them for free and all you have to do is give them back after a few weeks but you can just take them um you know what's you know what's really wild is that in there's also just a website that that building runs where i can go uh and they'll just give me kindle books for free I know. Pretty cool. Or audiobooks. Also, they'll give you audiobooks. Yeah, if, if you read digitally. I've, I'm a physical reader, I gotta say. I prefer physical copies, mm-hmm. but if you're a Kindle reader, then yeah, you can just get them without or even thinking about it. Or an audiobook listener. Mm-hmm. Your library um, will give you audiobooks. That's true, they will. But yeah, libraries are amazing. I didn't even realize, because so my wife and I, um, I mentioned this before, but a while back we moved to the suburbs and so joined the library around here and um, I didn't even realize that nowadays they let you take out like up to 50, five zero books at once, which is very helpful when you have a toddler and you're taking out a bunch of children's <laughs> books. 
Mm. Um, so we could snag like 30 kids books at once, which is amazing because my toddler is obsessed with books and like all she wants to do all day is read. Though I will say, speaking of Stephen King and libraries, you want to return those books on time because otherwise they'll send the library policeman after you. Mm. Is, that, is that a Stephen King book? Yeah, it's a short story or like a novella. It's it's uh, uh, it's kind of a um, weird one, actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I took out the them for the library. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I just want to go. I'm, I might spend a couple of months just going on a big, big Stephen King binge where I just like maybe over the summer, I'll just be like, I want to just get through all of his. Yeah, books I did that a couple of years ago. I love every single book, like Under the Dome, um, 112263. Mm-hmm. Like uh, so many of his bigger books, I've just loved to death that I just want to go. Even through the more ending of, of Under the Dome, yeah. though, then, whatever. No spoilers. That book yeah, didn't know how to end, but that's know, a common you know Stephen King thing. Stephen King and endings. Stephen King, not knowing how to end. Imagine a book. that. <laughs> no, I mean after I read Carrie, I felt the same way, Jason. Where I just wanted to read them all. Joyland is a good ending. Okay. Um, and uh, Kirk, I know that you are very big into the Dark Tower, which maybe I will finally, yeah. finally start reading. Read the first four books. <laughs> I, uh, just the first I don't one. know. Read the whole thing, I guess. Isn't there like a director's cut of the Dark Tower that's like also hotly debated? I feel like that's a thing. Am I crazy? Yeah. It- I don't know. Like, Did, didn't it get re-released, or is that a different Stephen King book that got re-released? The Stand got oh, the re-released. So the director's there's cut. a yeah, longer the stand, stand has like a it's like a bigger version mm-hmm. with like edited scenes like put in and stuff. Yeah, like the that. uncut one oh. that came out with the TV miniseries. Anyway, just a big. <laughs> I just want to shout out because like I feel like there are people out there who don't know the library exists or like don't even think about it as like a potential resource. But libraries are awesome. They're amazing. Go support your local library. Yes. Mm-hmm. You just go get books for free. It's amazing. Anyway, <laughs> I love our books podcast. It's so great. It is. I love yes. it. It is yes. brought to you by your library. Okay, cool. So that is it for this week's episode. Kirk, Maddie, I'll see you both next week. Yes. Yeah, see you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.